Hey everyone, welcome back to the Wisdom Collective. My name is Adam Crowell and this week I am on with my guest Paul Vanderclay. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to have you. I've been uh, following you for I don't know how long, but for a while. Um, and, and I'll kind of introduce you to our audience and let you introduce yourself for a bit here. But the reason why I started following you, Paul, is the reason why tons of people online at least started following along. And that was because of your commentary on Jordan Peterson, especially around his biblical lectures. And that sort of expanded and morphed into so much more than that. But that was where I originally started catching on to you because I was seeing this Jordan Peterson moment sort of start to happen and, uh, and paying attention to it, had friends that were paying attention to it. And then they started telling me like, you gotta listen to this Paul Vanderclay guy. He's talking about Jordan, but he's, he's a Christian and he's taking it serious. I was like, okay, I do, because I'm trying to do the same thing. And um, you were just doing such a great job at it, uh, dissecting all of his talks and telling us in your opinion, what he's getting right and wrong. And it was phenomenal stuff. So why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Let's talk a little bit about that because just for our audience sake, so they know where we're going, we are going to talk about lots of things, Jordan Peterson, and lots of things that the church got right and especially wrong about him. So um, let's, let's dive into it. Give some people an idea about who you are and how the genesis of that whole thing started, your Peterson commentary. Well, my name is Paul Vanderclay. I'm a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church in North America. That's a Dutch Reformed denomination. I pastor a congregation in Sacramento, California. I've been here about 23 years. I, it's a small um, aging congregation, and uh, I've always been interested in the life of the mind. And so over the years, I've often decided to spend time focusing on a particular intellectual or preacher. I did a pretty deep dive into Tim Keller in the, in the aughts. And then Jordan Peterson came along and, you know, there was a lot of discussion about the, the culture war stuff, which, you know, of course caught everybody's attention. But what really caught my attention was I had been doing a lot of thinking about the fact that on, on Sundays, I would preach out of a Bible that in some ways, if you read Genesis 1, you have a flat earth with a dome. And, you know, when Jesus ascends, where does he go? <laughs> so you had all these cosmological things. And, but during the week, everybody imagines we're on a globe and we're going around the sun. And so you had all of these differences. And I, I began to listen to Jordan Peterson's biblical series, and he was doing something different with the book of Genesis that I had never heard of. And it fascinated me. And then I began to notice that all sorts of people who, in my experience, had sort of gone down a one-way street, deconstructing away from Christianity, began coming back. And it's Sam Harris fans and people who had left the church and people were saying things like, well, I'm not really a Christian, but I'm curious about the Bible and I'm kind of curious about church. And so when I saw that, I thought, there's a real opportunity here to engage an audience. So I... One of the things I did, I'd been playing around with YouTube a little bit because I'd been thinking about writing a book, but I have friends and colleagues who've written books and they write a book and they sell a couple hundred of them, unless they're Their a pastor of a mega probably, church. Yeah, yeah, maybe don't. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I noticed that so few of the people in my congregation read books and well, they might look, they might buy a book from me to do me a favor, but what, I sell 10 books? What, what's the point of putting hundreds of hours into a book? And so I thought, well, a lot of people watch TV and video, so why don't I play around with YouTube? And then when Jordan Peterson arose, I thought there's something about the combination of him and YouTube. And YouTube, 
I had never sat down and watched two hours of content on YouTube before. I'd been a big podcast listener, but I hadn't done anything with YouTube. So I decided to well, I'd make a YouTube video and see how that went. And I had had a little show that I'd done with a member of the congregation, the Freddie and Paul show, because which is so that's, sweet. That's yeah. a long that's a long story in and of itself. And so I had the Freddie and Paul show. I thought, well, I I just I'll just make a little video, you know, three reasons why this pastor thinks Jordan Peterson is important. And I had 15 YouTube followers before then, mostly friends of Freddie and myself who would watch the show. <laughs> and then pretty soon I had 300 and I thought, oh, that's, <laughs> that's uh, what am I going to do with the Freddie and Paul show? Uh, we'll keep it. We'll see what happens. And that continued to grow. And then people began asking me for conversations. You know, can I talk to you? Well, sure. I'm a pastor. I that's what I do for a living. I talk to people and that I'd get continue to get emails from people and it continued to snowball. And then people locally began to say, why don't we have a meetup? Oh, okay, <laughs> so let's try that. And, you know, churches, churches try all sorts of things to get people in the door. I mean, we'll give out candy, we'll give out hot dogs, we'll, you know, we'll set up booths and play games. And so I thought, well, why don't we just bring in a group of people to talk about Jordan Peterson and see if anybody comes. And the first time we did it, we had a dozen people show up. And yeah. I thought, well, maybe that'll be it, but we'll try it again next month. And we had another 12 or 15 people, some of them different people. And so we kept doing it once a month and that group grew. And so my channel continued to grow. I continued to do commentary on Jordan Peterson. And as I was having conversations with people who contacted me, some of them were, some of them were, and some of them weren't appropriate to share publicly. And I would get a lot of repeat questions. And so I asked, would you mind if I'd record this? No, that would be fine. Because often people would say, well, I don't remember what you said. So I'd record it and send it back to them. Yeah. And then I'd say, would you mind if I share this on my YouTube channel? And so some people said, that'd be okay. So I shared it. And then more people began to come on because then we began developing a community around the people that were coming on my channel because they also became part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And then the meetup group um, said, why don't we start a discord server? I didn't even know what that was. And I said, okay, if you think so. And so we started a discord server. And so now we've had about 2000 members of that discord server who come on and I've continued to make videos. Jordan Peterson obviously sort of receded from the limelight, but other people came into the conversation. Jonathan Peugeot, another University of Toronto academic, John Verveke, mm -hmm. um, a bunch of interesting people all around the world came into the conversation. And so we just continued to have conversations about what does it mean to be a Christian in the world today? and a lot of the issues that surround that. So I, my, I do pretty much, I call them my monologue videos where I'm thinking about something. It might be something esoteric, it might be something practical, but I just have a kernel of an idea and I sit down and I make a video about it and people comment on that. Then I have my conversation videos where, um, you know, often in the chat, they started calling themselves randos. You know, you're talking to any rando who contacts me. I said, sure. So then I have my randos videos. And then sometimes I have conversations with people like yourself who um, they're an academic or they have an interest, or maybe I've had a few conversations with them and they've, they've sort of become a thought leader within the little community. And so it's all continued to grow and flourish 
but the, the focus has been on having uh, substantive, productive, meaningful conversations that, that hopefully help people think better about the world, live better about the world, and especially in the Christian space, try to figure out what Christianity is and should be for us now and how the church fits into that picture. So it's been going for about three years now, and it's not slowing down. And I've found it to be some of the most rewarding, fruitful ministry of my life. So that's sort of what I've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been so cool. And I want to talk more about the um, the evolution of sort of, you know, Peterson's important, but sort of the, I don't want to say move beyond Peterson, but sort of the, the door that got opened up to all of these different networking of relationships from inside the church, you know, maybe across traditions with like Jonathan Pajot, but then outside of the church too, with people like John Verbeke. And uh, I want to talk about so much of that because uh, what was funny is I had, I had interviewed Jonathan Paggio for my show, The Wisdom Collective. I had interviewed John Verbeke. We talked about doing a follow-up as well. Um, and I realized, gosh, I, I listened to Paul like quite a bit. Like what? I, I got like the three horsemen of the, the intellectual light web here. I need to get, I need to get Paul on, you know, we need to figure this out. So I'm glad you did it because uh, I want to talk about how yeah, that is a fascinating thing to see and to call it ministry. It is. It's, it's really interesting. So I want to get into that. But before we jump there, um, let's talk about you. You mentioned paying attention to Peterson and you found him to be or you at least thought he would be interesting and important for the church. Um, what were some of the biggest things that you were like, I, gosh, more people need to be paying attention to this? Or why did you start paying attention in the first place? Well, I had been... I had been reading C.S. Lewis's book, Miracles, ooh, once or twice a year for a number of years because I found that the naturalist, materialist frame continued to sort of eat away at my faith in some ways. And I found Lewis to be a very helpful conversation partner in that because the, I mean, the evangelical church in particular places such emphasis on the Bible and I, you know, as a pastor, I study the Bible every week. I have to preach from it. I, over my life, I've tried to at least keep some kind of competency in terms of what theological conversations are. What's the status between, let's say, history and, and the Bible? How does the Bible deal with history? Those kinds of questions. And, and of course, the beginning of Genesis is sort of a quagmire in terms of that. It has become a a a conflict point and i think in a lot of ways a no win conflict for the church yeah because if the church sort of takes the modernist route and says well that genesis account that's purely mythological okay what do you mean by that or if the church sort of takes the creationist account well you know all this stuff from science is bunk and here it is in the Bible, yet you're all, you know, people say, well, I'm a, I take the Bible seriously. Well, do you take this Bible seriously for human anatomy? Do you think with your heart? You know, that's a kind of literalism nobody trips over, but. And hopefully most people aren't gouging out right eyes and right hands and cutting them off, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. yeah. So, so I, I always noticed there was a certain dissonance that had set in between those two camps. Mm -hmm. And so of all things that Peterson does, what, what he did was, especially in his Genesis account, was, was give sort of a concordist interpretation of Genesis, but psychologically. And so he was yeah. basically saying, 
what what you have in the biblical record is a actually a coherent psychological account of the development of humanity and human culture. He, he also gave the Bible a certain credibility that the Bible records um, the evolution of humanity in a particular way. And I had never really heard that take before. And, you know, so suddenly people aren't looking at the Bible and saying, oh, the Bible, the earth is 6,000 years old and God somehow did it in six days. But what there is in the Bible is a credible account of, of human origins from a psychological perspective. Boy, that was interesting. Yeah. And, and what the other thing that I think Peterson really did, which, which you've alluded to, is he sort of opened the door to some of these tools and afforded, I think, a network that we've been building to, to actually have competent, um, productive conversations about these issues, whereas before everything had just sort of bogged down. Mm-hmm. And and that went that went well beyond that went well beyond Peterson, and yeah. so what what that did for me was sent me on a trail in terms of okay well how how else can we think about the Bible and then of course you bump into the likes of Jonathan Peugeot and John Verveke and many many others and we begin looking at um, some, some of the different matrices of of the Christian community. We have the Orthodox, the Roman Catholic, and then this world of Protestantism. And of course, that forced me back into thinking through, well, how did we get here? And what really is at the heart of the Protestant Reformation? And what really are we fighting about? And so, and and then to me, it got me into the question of, okay, what do we mean by the word God? And some of that is sort of scary for a lot of Christian ministers to wade into because you start monkeying around with theological formulations and confessional statements, and you can get yourself into, you can get yourself kicked out of your denomination and lose your livelihood. So, so that of course forced me to say, okay, we need to continue to ask deep and penetrating questions about these issues, because for the most part, a lot of our formulations aren't really working for tremendous elements of our population. And so as a preacher, as a pastor, if Jordan Peterson can turn on people to being more inquisitive about the Bible and the church better than I can with all of these established tools that seminary and the church had brought to the table, a lot of which just sort of, you know, putting us at loggerheads, maybe I can learn something from him and adapt some of these things to hopefully create better conversations and maybe have others deploy them in the churches as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and in so many ways you've been doing that, which is so cool to watch because you have these conversations that have evolved through this with the randos as as they're yep. called by the, the internet and the memes, right? So it's, you've got these types of folks, but you are having conversations with, yeah, it's cross-pollinating within traditions, but also even outside of Christ and traditions it's it's all over the place which is so cool um and yeah this is something actually jonathan uh Paggio and i talked about but the idea that that is always an allure for protestants to 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 reach out into 
to engage the world in particular ways, rather than being sort of the, uh, the mystical, the exotic, or the strange that like Eastern Orthodox are willing to stay that in whatever culture they're in. Yep. Um, and then oftentimes when they do that, they keep the center, they keep, you know, uh, truth, we might say, like a little bit more rigid and secure, but they lack relevance at times. But then as Protestants, our, our, um, our tendency and then our detriment is to sometimes try to get so relevant that we lose ourselves, we lose our identity. And uh, but what's neat is if you get a matrix or a network going, it's really sort of a a many giftedness like makes the body work. It's really really cool. I love seeing it. I'm watching it happen, but I'm getting to participate in it. It's it's so cool. Yeah, I I started paying attention to to jo- or well to Jordan honestly. Uh, someone who works in academia bef- right before the C16 stuff started happening, for some reason I, it it must have been because of maps of meaning. They shared some stuff to him. They're like, you got to listen to this guy. He's a Christian as well. It's like, you got to listen to this guy. And it's like, okay, well, why? Like, you know, people send me stuff to listen to all the time, right? It's, I read this book or whatever it is. You get that. So, um, but he told me, he goes, I don't know how to say it, but he, just what he's saying makes sense. And I was like, well, that's, and I trust this guy too. I was like, that's interesting. You know, that's a weird way of putting it. I'm going to check this out. So I started looking into it and it's like, man, he is saying some fascinating stuff. Then the, 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 the political stuff and the social uh, tensions started happening around him. Um, and what was fascinating is um, he's, he announced he's going to come to Oregon. Uh, some like, you know, libertarian group here was going to sponsor to bring him here. And like, he wasn't doing the tours yet. There wasn't the book yet. It was a free event to the public. And uh, dude, the thing was bananas packed out though. And what was interesting, Paul, is I, because the culture moment stuff was happening around him with C16, I genuinely thought, I don't know if I want to go to this event. Not because I actually disagreed with Jordan. I just, like we talked about before we started recording today, I didn't want to be the stupid person on the news. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I didn't want people to be tuning in to like Coin6 local news and be like, local kerfuffle happens out at this university in Oregon. And I'm like on the, like in the crowd, like smiling away, you know? And then I thought like, what a stupid thing. Like, I, I, that might be too harsh, but I was like, that is so uh, lame. I, I guarantee you, um, five years from now, whether or not there's a kerfuffle, which there shouldn't have been, and there wasn't, it was totally fine. The event went smooth and it was great. I thought, five years from now, I'm not going to be looking back, even if there was a kerfuffle, because of what this guy said, unless he says something totally outlandish, I'm not going to have regrets about going because I'm just trying to learn about some guy that's engaging the world a little differently. And, and at this point, he wasn't even doing the biblical lectures yet, but he's, he starts using these phrases like the kingdom of God. And he's talking about Genesis. And I'm like, who is this guy? What is going on here? And then two Sundays after that, I see a guy walking through our lobby wearing a Jordan Peterson t-shirt. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? And, uh, so I started meeting with him and other people and it's like, and eventually that, that guy gets like baptized and it's like, okay, uh, just like you said, I'm like, he starts doing the Bible lectures eventually. I'm like, people are not just showing up. They're literally paying like good money to show up at these like theaters and conference halls and these beautiful spaces to listen to someone essentially do what I try to do on Sunday, but for like an extra hour and a half and to have Q and A after I'm like, Holy crow, man. This there's is no childcare. There's no Sunday school. No. There's no complaining about pastor. You've only you've gone for a half hour now. Can you give it a break? No, he goes for two hours and they want more. And they're treating it like dates. They're going with their spouse. So there's significant other. It's like, Oh my goodness. 
And uh, so, yeah, I'm like, I want to get in on that, not just to like ride the wave and like take advantage of the moment, but it's like something's going on there. Like people yeah. are, there's yeah. something relevant and they're tapping into it. Yeah. You got to be careful with that to the point from Jonathan earlier. You don't want to just get converted by the culture either. But yeah, it's, it's worth paying attention to. So that's why I started looking. That's I, why I, I got I caught up to you. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out. I couldn't figure out why there weren't pastors all over this thing. I yeah. thought, good night, people. I mean, again, you know, churches do all kinds of crappy little things to have <laughs> some marginal conversation with someone who can, you know, fog a mirror. And here you have thousands of people hungering for meaningful conversations about the Bible one way or another. And, you know, I've, I've said this many times, as a pastor of a small, very irrelevant, dying congregation, I could go for weeks or months without having a, a really substantive, productive conversation with someone not in the church about anything mm -hmm. that came close to meaning or the Bible. And I start, you know, now via Jordan Peterson, I, I've got, you know, I've got so many people that want to talk to me, I, you know, I have to limit it just so that I don't, you know, ignore the people that, I'm paid to care for, you know, it's, it's, and then I, I look around at pastors and when it first started, I was, you know, I have networks of pastors. So I'm like, Hey, people watch this. Something big is going on here. You should pay attention to this. You should figure out how to, how to position yourself. So you've got all these people who have questions, position yourself. So at least you can start a conversation with them. And well, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, for Pete's sake, people, how, how dumb can you be? Don't you understand your job? I mean, and these are, these are, these are people that are purportedly missional people. And I think you wouldn't know missions if it came up and bit you on the leg. I mean, come on, people, what are you doing? And so I was, I was enormously frustrated. And I also saw that I thought Peterson was leaving, you know, to use this phrase, leaving money on the table. He was going around yes. energizing people, but yes. he had absolutely no network of follow-up. Whereas, you know, back in the day when you had these big crusades go through town, they would network with churches. They would actually have, um, you know, people that you could follow up with. But, you know, the further I got into it, the, the more I also began to recognize that most churches and pastors were ill-equipped to actually follow up and follow through with people. Mm -hmm. and, and that is something on us because yeah. we're so, you know, I, I get plenty of criticism for this and for that, which doesn't really bother me. Everybody, everybody has an opinion. That's what it means <laughs> to be a human being, but, but how to have a, how to have a, a productive, credible, caring conversation with someone who's trying to think through their life and trying to think through this world and, and, and at least give them a little something to maybe think about next or give them, you know, give them a little group of people where they can start to work on things. And again, ideally, churches are, churches are exactly equipped to do this. We have yes. small groups, we have big meetings, we have buildings, we have, I mean, we have all, we have trained people, Formation, we have all this stuff. tracks, like all of it. Yeah, That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet churches are kind of like, oh, yeah, uh, we're so busy with all of our in-house things. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's all credible ministry. I'm not, I'm not saying no, anything but, about uh, it. Like but. the church 
a, a lot of the, and it's a caricature, but it's not like a totally off base one. Like that church that, that's doing that kind of stuff, it's too busy with programs and they don't have enough time for people oftentimes. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like a maintenance mode church. Like they're running an organization, but they're not engaging a, a literal body of Christ that is growing and being formed into his image. And, so, yeah. and, uh, and, and maybe they are in small ways, right? And, and through their programs, obviously, it's not all for loss, but it's like, it would be one thing if it's just, okay, Peterson's attracting this big, these big crowds. Like that's like, you can attract crowds with lots of things. Like the Oakland Raiders have a huge fan base and that's bad product. You know, it's not, even, <laughs> no offense, you know? Uh, everyone hears a little hurt that they moved to vegas but uh <laughs> well okay so i'm i'm from uh, i'm from southern oregon so i had to i had to pick uh either raiders or, or niners basically and like come on like jerry rice and joe montana i'm not going raiders you know come on man. and uh anyway so uh but the point being uh, you can have bad product in some people's opinion at least and have a huge following you know and uh so that's one thing but Peterson's following. It was a huge crowd of people who were literally and struggling to communicate at times, but literally saying sometimes, like, I'm just looking for some meaning and purpose to life. It's like they're asking for good news. Why yeah. why aren't we yeah. why aren't we saying like, hey, Peterson's scratching the surface on some things, but there's a deep reality that is like entering into the divine and coming into union with Christ. All these, like, come on, like let me show you what I mean. Yeah. There was on the one hand, people were too busy to take the time for it. Because it is, you do have to do a little bit of a deep dive to get what Peterson's up to and what he's talking about. So there's that, you know, maybe a learning curve for some people. But there was also, I'm sure you get a lot of this too, Paul. You talked about it in a soft way earlier. There was lots of concern that, well, if I do with this, am I just flirting with the devil? Like, is this just like a wolf in sheep's clothing or, you know, whatever the concern was. Yeah. Um, it, is this is this actually harmful or bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah, did you get a lot? Of, it sounded like you did, but did you get a lot of that, or have do you continue to? I, I got more. I get more resistance from people who. So there's this there's this vast culture war going on, and Peterson pretty effectively got labeled by one side as you know, I I don't even know alt right adjacent or some of this, and so what, what that that mapping of Peterson in a political frame has been more problematic yeah. because people hear him in, in that context. And I hear that. And I think, have you, you know, how on earth did he survive all of those years at Harvard and university of Toronto? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I mean, These aren't small it, state schools. Yeah. This, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's to, to, to label him as a misogynist or a homophobe, you know, it's just, it's just not credible, but he's, he's immediately dismissed on those scores. And I, you know, he, and, and then there obviously, um, Jung has had a reputation, yeah. Jungians have had a reputation in the church. And so you have to, you have to talk through some of those issues a bit, but I, again, to me, I, I think, I think on one hand, well, there, there are two things. One is that, that so many churches either were uninterested or simply unable to, to notice the missional opportunity. But, but second, there is at the same time, a, if, the church, if the church is going to take this seriously, it's going to, have to, it's going to have to continue to pursue 
the ongoing project of theological conversation and discovery, which a lot of times churches just don't want to do because it's threatening. But the, the, the levels of deconstruction, especially going on among the young, should be forcing churches to ask questions about, okay, how, what do we mean when we talk about God? What, what, who is Jesus and how, what, what does it mean for us to be part of his body? Uh, you know, Protestants should be more ready than anyone else to take a look at those questions and say, you know, while, while you know, we, we have a high view of scripture, we also recognize that the church needs to figure out how to engage that to a population. And so, and, and I found that churches for the most part, especially church leadership, tends to be cowardly. They just want to play it safe because the truth is you don't, you get in trouble. <laughs> you get in trouble for, yeah. for exploring or, or doing anything anything that would be at all threatening. And so having these, I get, I get way more, I mean, the two groups I get pushback from on my channel either are because of politics and, and which is hilarious to me because I've, I've been a lifelong democratic voter. I grew up in a black community and that's, that's just how I voted. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm used to, I'm used to being a minority in a conservative denomination. I, I'm very comfortable with that. But on the other hand, I get a lot more, issues from Christians because I'm not using the catchphrases or all of the, the Christianese that we sort of signal each other that, okay, if I use this Christianese, then now I'm suddenly a safe person so we can play a tribal game. So it's us and them, but it's okay. But your master, your master said, you know, I come for the sick, you know, it's the sick who mm -hmm. need the doctor and your master, you know, your master was incarnated into, you know, a very vicious culture war and ticked off both sides. Yes. So this is supposed to be your DNA. Um, how are you going to deal with this culture war? Are you just going to tribe up on one side or the other? Or are you actually going to recognize that God loves the other tribe too? And how are you going to get these people, hopefully from the brink? Now, Jesus was not successful in bringing first century Judea from the brink. The temple was destroyed, but Jesus was playing a far longer game so that obviously 300 years later, the Roman Empire itself would be transformed. Correct. So this is our master, people. Yeah. This is our book. This is our mission. Yeah. And I, I, get, I get very passionate and frustrated with Christians who just want to continue to play little insular tribal games instead of really engaging what we say we should be doing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, perhaps, I don't know what, um, I don't know where your denomination is in this, in theology or in practice, but at least where I'm at in this sort of non-denominational world, we have um, some like pretty firm theologies, but one that we're pretty deficient in or illiterate in or whatever you want to say is our theologies around union and participation and some of these things. And there is something to, I think Peterson was at least touching on some of that thematically, but then 
what's so cool is that he became this. And that's what I, when people would share some of their concerns with me about him, I'd say, look, I'm, I'm trying to like agree with what I agree with and disagree with what I'm trying to use discernment. I'm trying to disagree and agree where it makes sense. But I also understand that this guy's being a front door to the church. So like, that's literally happening. So I don't know what to tell you other than I'm going to try and help connect these people up. Um, and, and yeah, and I'll try and chew the meat and spit the bones where I can. So, you know, I'll try and do both. Um, but that's what's so interesting is that some of the, in this like little corner of the internet that we're talking about here, some of the most popular voices are people that are super traditional as far as creeds go and like our high views of theology. They're like, you know, deeply Trinitarian. They're all, they talk about everything through the lens of the incarnation, like Jonathan Paggio. It's like, you know, he's conceiving the whole world through like this lens of the incarnation and in the both end of heaven and earth. And it's like, and it's fascinating when you hear him talk about it. It's like this type of thinking, this type of, you know, uh, and it's part of the reason why so many younger people are flocking to these more traditional churches, right? Yep. And we're seeing this happen. Yep. So, um, there's something going on there and the church is, like you said, it's missing out on an opportunity to, to engage, to, to communicate good news, you know, to people that are literally asking for it. We're just, sometimes we're just not even listening. Right. Yep. 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 Yeah. No, that's exactly right. We're, we're not listening. And I, I want to see, I want to see the church do better. So I've, and I've, you know, I've, I'm thinking now I probably have to carve out more time to do some stuff for the church now that I've been doing it, not my local church, but the, ch the broader church mm -hmm. after I've been doing this for three years now. But a lot of what I've tried to do is just simply model, just, just par part of the reason I post the conversations with randos I do online is I want to model. And I've been thinking lately that, you know, part of, part of what, this world re needs right now are simply better pastors, mm -hmm. pastors who can come alongside people and uh, listen to people and know a little bit of theology and can engage and work on some of these questions. So, and, and I, you know, people often say to me, oh, but there's no other pastors like you. And I said, that's hogwash. There's, there's, a, there are a lot of good pastors out there that have, that have, that have good hearts and good heads and they want to engage and it's it's not easy taking these communities and figuring out the way forward, but mm -hmm. that's our job. And um, I'm 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 optimistic that yeah. that we'll do better and we can make progress. Yeah, I I, I hope so. I think so too. And you are modeling a lot of this, which I've, I've appreciated from a distance and more near right now. But um, but yeah, I've appreciated watching you do it because it does it kind of gives some inspiration of like, gosh, I could do this in my own sphere of influence, whether or not I put it online, like that's whatever, you know, I could do this where I'm at right now and there's yeah. something there. So I've appreciated it. And I've also appreciated um, not just, you know, the bits you've been doing in that arena, but also, so on this show, we interview people. I, I dabble into the, the culture. I dabble into the culture probably a little bit more than you do. So I'll interview people that aren't even Christian, but also aren't, uh, like intellectual types that have a lot of overlap, like John Verbeke. So I'll interview like Katie Herzog, and we'll have her on. We'll have other people on. We'll just talk about what's going on in culture as far as you yep. understand it, as maybe yep. as a resident expert of your field of journalism or yep. filmmaking or whatever. Yep. Um, so anyway, I'll do a little bit more of that. Um, and you're doing some things like that too, but especially with these intellectual people. So tell us a bit about that. We, we said you kind of had this evolution through things where you're like, Okay, Peterson was scratching the surface on some bigger topics that a lot of people are connected to. So what's going on now? Um, and, and what is the benefit of talking to people like Verveke and others for you? 
Well, we've got, we've got how many people going through university? And, yeah. um, you know, there's campus ministries of one sort or another. Uh, we have Christian colleges. Uh, we, we have to engage the life of the mind. And we are living through an, an ongoing exponential growth of knowledge in our world. You know, part of what has been helpful from Peterson and Verveke for me is I hadn't paid a whole lot of attention to psychology. I mean, pastors, you know, you might read some Larry Crabb books or, you know, mm -hmm. and Scott Peck made some waves a number of years ago. And most pastors just sort of pick up a little bit of psychological lingo and use it inappropriately or badly. Um, you know, we're, we're outsourcing, you know, difficult pastoral cases to counselors and such, which is yeah. all fine. But some of the naughtiest, some of the naughty problems that have been with us for a long time, and some of them that have been acute with the church for the last couple of hundred years, such as the modernist fundamentalist split, when we try to ask questions about the Bible and history, there's a, there's a lot of cognitive science that is beneath a lot of these questions in terms yeah. of, okay, how does language works? How do, how do texts work? And so another, another scholar that I've been very interested in, not really a scholar, but sort of a historian, popular author has been Tom Holland. Yeah. And I'm, I'm watching people like Tom Holland, who is, never heard of the man. And so, but yet Tom Holland is, wrestling with all of these issue, issues as a historian and as a writer and coming to a lot of the, coming to some interesting similar conclusions as Jordan Peterson in his own field. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching, you know, more and more. I was just listening to uh, Stephen Fry on Tom Holland's podcast, making some noises about this too. People are having a People are having a realization that a lot of the a lot of this language that the church has maintained, but hasn't really thought through, is is probably foundational to us as communities being able to not kill each other. Yeah. And yeah. and so you know what a person is. These are these are some really foundational. They're philosophical. Um, cognitive science has has been on the forefront of this, and theologians have actually been working in a lot of these things. But for many of us, some of that theology, because it's sort of outside of our confessional realm, or it's rather esoteric and a little detached from the rest of the church, has just sort of been floating out there, and a lot of the academic treatment of it hasn't been terribly productive or connected to ecclesiology. So, so part of my goal has also been to begin taking some of those things and applying them. And to come all the way back to sort of where I got here in terms of C.S. Lewis and his book Miracles and Jordan Peterson, to begin to recognize that, okay, how does the Bible talk? What kind of history does the Bible relate and how does it? Now that's, that's been, 
there have been vicious theological fights about that for the last hundred years. But I think now perhaps we, we see some opportunities for productive engagement. So I look at, you know, like the guys who are doing the Bible project. Yeah. I mean, these guys are really smart and they're very skilled in terms of how they're dealing with a lot of this stuff with an evangelical audience. And so um, I, I think we have the potential right now to, to actually see a real, it sounds strange, but I, I, I'm, I'm expecting that in the next 20 years, we might see something of a, of a revival where the churches can figure out how to actually resolve some of the knotty questions that we've been stumbling on for the last hundred years. And a lot of the opportunity is coming through cognitive science and psychology and understanding how language works. And, and, but that work has to be done. It isn't going to do itself. Mm -hmm. And pastors, academics have a role to play in that, but pastors have a big role to play in that because pastors have long been the ones who sort of keep an eye on academia and look for useful things kind of bring it down and, and figure out, okay, how does this really work in the lives of regular people? That's, yeah. that's really the key skill that pastors have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I talk about it as like, you know, the role, you know, a pastor has many roles, but in the realm of what you're talking about and in that frame, it's like the role is to be a translator of live knowledge or wisdom or live theology or practice. You know, it's, it's these type of things. You got to figure out how to, translate yeah how to translate like big and lofty ideas into like well what does that even mean and that is so much not to go just deep into that is so much of what peterson was up to i was just talking with one of our staff members about some of these ideas that like so in our context for example i don't know if this is what it's like in yours but so much of our men's ministry um you know it might circle around different ways in which men fail and we share in that common failure and we have a common savior in christ something like that that's good. It's like totally true. Yep. Um, but that's just about all that it seems like we do. We don't give a positive vision for, yeah, you failed, but you failed to leverage the capacity and capability for the good that is within you when you're united to Christ. Like Christ is in and through you right now. And uh, you, you leveraged that power for not good. So yep. yeah, yeah, bad on you. But at the end of the day, there's a noble goal. And we're like totally ignoring like the opportunity or the noble goal, you know, in so much of our discipleship. And this, again, this is just about men, but we do the same thing with women all the time. Um, And anyway, um, and just people in general, not just gender-based stuff. But um, anyway, yeah, there's something there. Yeah. Well, in the gender-based stuff, I mean, we're we're at the forefront of a, you know, I've I've been trying to, I've been trying to make a video about this. It's, it's, It's really hard to do. Because basically, we have two options in the church right now. One option, double down on, here's our traditional sexuality. You know, we're going to just grin and bear it and muscle through. And it's like, okay, well, I watched that being tried. And the other side, which is, we're going to embrace whatever. And I look at that and I say, oh, that's, you're, you're just yeah. not thinking. <laughs> you're just really, I mean, do you know people? Um, yeah. Do you know what it, you know, do you know what it takes to have children and run a family and have some stability so the kids aren't, so, so these are option A and option B. And I look at both of these options and say, okay, can we actually have 
a little better conversation about how to get through this. And both sides get triggered right away because one side is, you know, don't you dare change a thing. Oh, okay, how's that working? Yeah. Uh, how about the other side? No, everything's fine. Really? I don't believe you really mean that because yeah. I, 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 I ain't buying that side either. So let's talk about this. But both sides are so terrified. No, I don't want to talk because they both got zero sum hardline positions. And I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying we're going to give this up. But I, what I am saying is that we have to, we have to really do our best work with respect to this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, like with a lot of issues, a lot of other polarized issues, we're going to need to talk together to figure out a way through. Yeah. And let's, let's work on some of those skills and let's not be afraid. Let's not be afraid to talk and to think. And again, one of the one great Jordan Peterson phrases was, you know, why do we talk and have conversations and have ideas and imagination? Cause it's better that our ideas die and not us. So yeah. Let, yeah. let's just go out there and, and put, put forward a dozen ideas to kill. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're not bloodying each other and let's talk things through and not be afraid. Yeah, that is, that is a great point, Paul. And there's so much in that. Um, hopefully I don't get lost in the weeds here and trying to make a point, but um, that's sort of the, the either or that you presented. That's like, that's classic. And that is, it's sort of like the world that we're in with just about everything. Right. Yep. Um, but what's lovely is going back to something you said earlier is that when you look at Christ and you, you read through the, you can read lots of different angles to Christ, but when you read what he was doing with the different groups that existed around him, he was always choosing this third way that sort of affirmed something in both groups, but also disagreed with something. Like I, I imagine uh, people that speak uh, of a almost exclusively woke Jesus, you know, and it's like, they have no theology. You see everyone come up to Christ and say, what do I need to do to follow you? And there's always something. He's never like, you know what, you just had a hard life and you're actually good. Like you're great. Everything's fine. You know, um, you're good. These other people, they need to do something. It's like, no, like every person that comes up has something that they got to do. Um, and so anyway, uh, that's sort of, you can affirm like, yeah, we need to affirm humanity and look at a restorative plan for justice and for people and all these things. But at the same time, like everyone's, no one's absolved of the guilt of like wrecking the world and breaking relationships with God, humanity and creation. Everyone does this. You know? right. So we've got to do this both and thing. And what's lovely. I really mean lovely. It's, it might sound like a masochistic or like weird, but it's like if in the world right now, you're going to trigger everybody for having any opinion. Like the only other thing you can do is just like sink into yourself and not exist. If having any opinion is going to frustrate everybody or anybody, why not be hated for trying to do that third way, trying to love everyone as best you can, like going through the middle and saying, yes, but, yes, but, and like figuring it out. And that's exactly what Christ did. Like you said, throughout the gospels, he, he affirms some things that are going on, whether it's in Rome or in the empire or in Judea. And then he's also like definitely harshly disagreeing with plenty of things too. And there's gotta be a way to do it. And what's fascinating is some of the people that are doing it best have nothing to do that third way at least if you just look at that as a principle or people like uh, Peterson was doing it at times sometimes you went one or the other obviously because you know you get into that high profile but you watch and listen to Riveki and I've so that's one of my most engaged with conversations in my dms and things like that and emails where people are like and it's Christians and we weren't 
the things they were most interested in had nothing to do with Harbor religion directly. It did have something to do with spirituality and with religion in general, but it wasn't explicitly Christian. It was things like about cognitive science and sort of the, the both and of opponent processing in our brain and our body and how that maps onto how we organize social groups with sort of open to experience people and closed to experience people. And it's like, people heard that and like, yeah, that totally makes sense. And it, it starts having that relevance. And, um, yeah, there's something to it. As we start to engage with people inside, but especially outside the church, we can learn some things too, and we yep. can integrate and we yep. can, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I've, I've found this to be, yeah, it's, it's, it's been good ministry and it's, I, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm very grateful to God for, for what's happened to me over the last three years. Yeah. Um, and well, maybe we can start to land the plane here then because um, before this conversation, uh, before we started recording, we were talking about how in the world of COVID, a lot of people are just holding on and waiting. Um, and there's some understandability to some of that, but there's also like, well, you, you could and should be doing some things right now too. You know, like, there's some life to be lived right now, even if you are being cautious or thoughtful or whatever, there's lots there. So um, I think we could apply that same principle to the way some people have treated Jordan. And so, you know, they're sort of just waiting for Jordan to come back, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, he's been, he's uh, quite literally by plenty of people been deified. And what's so sad about that is they lose the humanity. Like so many people uh, care about what he produces and what he does, but they don't care about like the guy's suffering or he's gone through a lot of suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's, he's struggling to get back on his feet and figuring it out. But man, uh, on the one hand, that's just sad. Like we shouldn't lose the humanity of the guy. But on the other hand, what do you have to say to those who are waiting for like second wave Petersonianism or whatever, you know, like, what do you have to say to folks that are uh, doing that? I, well, I don't know. I, well, first of all, if you, um, if he's your master, clean your room, um, <laughs> you know, read good books, uh, commit, you know, make, make commitments, don't use people, love them, make commitments to them. So he's, you know, there's before 12 more rules comes out, there's plenty of good stuff in 12 rules it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I, I suspect we're going to see something in the second wave, but, you know, Jordan was around for, Jordan wrote maps of meaning in, in 99, right. 1999. So, and I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who were on far earlier iterations of Jordan's wave. Um, I'm, I'm really, Jordan seems to have a, an amazing knack for, for controversy and attention. And so we'll, we'll see what comes. I really hope he gets well and can really be back, get back in the game. But the, I mean, the point of all of this to me would be create, find, find groups of people that you can continue to uh, relate to, to practice love with, frankly, um, to, Find groups of people that can help you grow. You know, what commitments do you need to make? What, what, what parts of your room do you need to clean? Find groups of people that can help you grow. And uh, what, you know, I don't know. A lot of people are expecting Jordan to, I don't know, do what? I expect Jordan will continue to do what he has been doing. We'll see if the next... Uh, biblical lectures, if he does them, I mean, he's planning on them, if they'll have the same kind of experience as they did before, or if 
for a lot of people, it sort of sounds rehashed. We don't know. Mm -hmm. So, but, but don't, don't sit on your laurels. And the emphasis to me has been, and this has been something Jordan was really good at, you know, do something, take some action with your life, um, make a commitment. You know, it might be addressing some relationship in your life, but do something with it. And, you know, what, what Jordan is and does in the next wave, we will see, but mm -hmm. there's no point in not doing anything. And so my focus has been, you know, find, and, and it's, and again, this was, I think, part of what was sort of missing in the first wave, which was, okay, you can read, listen to Jordan Peterson video, and you get all inspired to do something. Doing something is going to involve other people. You're yeah. going to need friendships, a little cadre, a little group of people to actually make progress on your life. And so part of what we did was, was try to establish either online communities or geographical communities where you could meet together, develop friendships, have some commonality, make progress in your life. Mm -hmm. Don't sit and wait. Yeah, that's awesome. Because you need all of those things. You need community. Yep. You need an ecology of practices to sort of hone and train all of this. Yep. The communities are beautiful because you get the tension living, which is actually kind of cool. I don't mean living in tension, but you get living that is sort of a push and pull of everyone benefiting and covering up each other's deficits. It's it's a really neat thing to be a part of. And uh, I hope more people do it. And so I want to say, um, before we close up, like, on the one hand, thanks for helping with that. You've been helping like so many people through your online forums do that, which is cool to watch. Um, for those that are doing it with you individually, but you hear whether through like discord servers or just comment sections, there is a, a lovely tweet, you, you probably remember it better than me. It was someone who basically said, I started, I started with Sam Harris, I moved to Jordan <laughs> Peterson, I eventually moved to Pajot, and now I'm, you know, I, I listen to Paul, or I'm interviewing with Paul Vanderclay tomorrow. Maybe, I don't remember, but there's some yeah. sort of a connection down to you. And it was like, yeah. this is so cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it Thank is. Thank you. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I just encourage people to find a community, build mm -hmm. a community. Um, you know, it might be, it might be, it might mean, you know, it might mean proposing marriage to your girlfriend so that you're not, you know, so that you're, you're making a commitment to her and, and saying, I'm going to be there. And it might mean making a commitment to a church or making a commitment to some other group of people to say, yeah, I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep participating. You can count on me. And that's very Jordan Peterson. You know, you want to be the person that when your parent dies, the rest of the family looks to you because you know you're you've got yourself put together enough it's very jordan peterson oh absolutely yeah yeah well thank you again for sharing uh thanks for making the time today paul i really appreciate it and your work you've been doing um just keep doing it that would be good all right i'm, I'm not planning on stopping <laughs> all right we'll catch you later all right, all right. take care yep bye-bye